So Father, now as we come to your word, what we have not give us, what we know not teach us, and what we are not make us by your spirit through your word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take those and open them to Luke chapter 12. Each week of this series on generosity, entitled Generous, we have heard this passage read. Luke chapter 12. And pick up with me as you are there in Luke 12 in verse 13. Luke 12 verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told him, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive, and he thought to himself, Well, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this. He said, I'll, I'll tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns and store all of my grains and my goods there. And, and then I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. We know it more as be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the thing that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with one who is, who, who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 22, we continue. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore, I, I tell you, don't worry about your life and what you will eat or about the body and what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow they don't reap. They do not have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of those. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, O you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and things will be provided to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old or inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word, the words of Jesus. And if we're being just absolutely honest, he sounds like a hippie. <laughs> Sell all of your things and give them to the poor. That may work in the first century, but I'm not sure if that works in Lake Jackson in 2020, which is very difficult to say. Have you come across that yet, 2020? Uh, we have been in this series talking about generosity, walking through what it means for us to consider what we have and why we have it. And there have been a few Sundays recently where I've had unique conversations with church members. I had uh, some ladies come up to me that had a gathering, and one of the 
the Saturday evenings in December, and I did not realize the topic of conversation. And two ladies came to me that morning, and they made reference to the fact that they heard that I had laundry skills. And they made comments like, hey, Pastor Chad, no one calls me that, and feel free not to. Uh, Hey, Chad, I I hear that you do the laundry at your house. Feel free to come to my house and show my husband how to do that. Uh, Well, thank you. uh, Okay. I had no idea what they were talking about. My wife lets me know that the night before at this gathering that the conversation came up as to what this person or that person did around the home, and she brought up that I fold the laundry at our house and I put it up. Now, I'm about 78% accurate, which means I'm 22% inaccurate in which drawer things go in. But when you get above two children, you're just out. You, you, you never know. That, maybe that's Charlie's. Maybe it's the girl's. I don't know. So we're moving things all of the time. But what Hope did not share with those ladies is to why I am, I believe the laundry to be so important. She let them know that she just puts the laundry out and she comes back and it's magically put up. What she did not tell them was the fact that she puts the laundry on my spot in our bed. (laughs) Friends, I don't care anything about laundry. I care a lot about sleeping. So in order to get to my bed, I've got to move the laundry that she has put there. I have to deal with what is there. For us, as a church family, as we look at the idea of finances, we've got to look at what's there. The Bible talks about money a lot. The Bible talks about money more than it talks about heaven. The Bible talks about money more than it talks about prayer. The Bible mentions mentions money more than it mentions the name of Jesus. And no one in any church in all of creation would be upset if someone were to preach a sermon about heaven, prayer, or Jesus. So we look into the Bible and we just have to think about this. The Bible talks about money more than anything. People in our congregations, you included, are stressed about money more than anything. And if we said, let's make sure that we never talk about money, then we would not be good leaders of your church. We have to have these conversations. Jesus is teaching about money in these passages, and today we're looking at this big idea of what are we supposed to do with it for the advancement of God's kingdom. And we look, and he starts with this huge idea in the passage. A man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of possessions. How could they not worry about having food? As we look at this text, we have to consider where these people are and how what is running through their mind as they are seeking to listen to this rabbi who's going from place to place. Jesus teaches about about a different attitude about life and priorities and he shares with them that they should not worry about life, what they will eat or what they will drink. This is foreign to me because I regularly worry about all of the things that we need to provide for ourselves. These are bold words from Jesus. The crowd had just finished address that he just finished addressing were farmers and fishermen, people who got by from day to day by putting a living together. No one was as rich as the fool that Jesus references in this passage. Almost all of them were very, very poor, and they were victims possibly of a bad harvest or a bad night of fishing without catching anything. 
So when we look at this text where Jesus addresses their situation, you notice that he's going to give us this parable, but he starts here in verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, in, to divide our inheritance with me. Do you ever have those moments in your life where you have finished instructing your children and they have inevitably come alongside of you and said something to the effect of, or something that sounds as if they've listened to nothing that you've said? Or does that just happen at 205 Rock Rose? Anybody else in the room deal with that ever? That's what's happening here. We know that because Jesus has just acknowledged in the previous verses what he's the importance of how we direct our lives. He has this attitude of, did I not just, did you not hear what I just told you? This moment where Jesus is saying to them that he is to be the, the priority and the importance and that acknowledging him before men is more important than everything. And Jesus says these things and this man with his brother comes to Jesus and says, hey, that's all well and good. Your pie-in-the-sky religion that we're going to acknowledge God before everything, but I've got a real-life practical situation that I want you to address because we like to divide God's spiritual truths from practical realities. Here's what I want you to deal with, Jesus. I'm all good with the acknowledging you, but where the rubber meets the road, I've got this land, and we're fighting over it. So can you just tell him to fix this? What about my stuff, Jesus? Land's a big deal in the Bible. The, the promised land area is huge. It's massive. It's incredibly important to Jewish people. As a matter of fact, it's incredibly important to the entirety of that world today. They're fighting over a piece of land that's not much larger than New Jersey. But it's not just outside-inside fights. It's inside fights. You want to make sure that what you have is yours. So Jesus is dealing with this in this passage. It's a symbol of status. It's a symbol of heritage. It's very much like old Christian churches in America that have graveyards. Has anyone ever been to a church that has a graveyard? Maybe you are visiting a parent or a grandparent. There is a piece of property owned by the church. I've had conversations with pastors who have churches like this, and they will let you know that no matter how far people move away, they never move their letter to another church. And you'll begin to ask why. And the reason is pretty simple. They don't want to release the promised piece of land in the graveyard that is given to them if they are a member of that family of faith. It's the idea of clinging to something. There is a land dispute here, and this guy is telling Jesus, I want you to speak about it. And Jesus gives directions from the text as to what we should do. So if you're a note taker, maybe you can come alongside and write these down. The first thing that Jesus says to do for, uh, for this man is take guard. Take guard. He actually uses the word beware. Go with me to verse 14. Friend, he said, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? Why should I be making this decision? Jesus is not saying I should not be making the decision. He's just saying, what makes you think that I'm the person for this? He then told him, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Your Bible may read, beware. Because one's life is not the abundance of his possessions. Watch out. Beware. Take 
guard. In the original language, it does not just mean have your eyes turned toward this. Because I believe that's how we are. Maybe you're outside with, with your family. You notice a dog that is unfamiliar. And maybe it's one of those dogs that also could double as a tank or some weapon of mass destruction. And you have an eye over toward the dog. That's not the, what the passage is saying here. The idea of this passage is communicating uh, something similar to what we do when we think of zombie movies. Anyone zombie people? That's okay. We can work through it. We can work through it. If you are familiar, we don't have to really be on guard against zombies because they're not real. And if they are real, let me know. But it does... what When you watch these movies, these survivors don't have a mentality of watch out. They are not just keeping their eye out in the event that a zombie strolls out of nowhere from behind a tree or out of a marsh. Those who are going to survive take guard. They arm themselves with weapons. They build trenches and put pointy stakes out in their yard so the zombies cannot move past those. They take guard against the problem that is there. And Jesus in this passage is pointing out that we, as people who claim to follow him, should take guard against the idea of possessions taking over our lives. Now hear me say this, Jesus is not against you having stuff, he's just against your stuff having you. He is completely against it. He is over and over in the Bible, he speaks to it. Regularly he says to us, take guard against this, take guard against this, take guard against this. And it is incredibly important for us as a church to point out that we should take guard against this, our stuff having us. So then he tells them this parable, there's a rich man. His land was productive. You prefer that as to unproductive land. He thought to himself, well, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Think of all of the things that you could do with extra crops. There's no mention of his family. There is no mention of anyone in his life other than him. What should I do with all of these things that are crops that are perishable? We know they're perishable because they're crops. Rather than giving them to those who were in need, rather than looking around, Jesus tells the story with this in mind. I will do this. I will tear down my barns. And build bigger ones. So this man is taking active steps to make sure that he's hoarding. He is moving the direction of making sure that he has things to care for, things that are perishable. And I will store all the grain and all my goods there, and then I'll say to myself, because he doesn't have anyone else to talk to, you have many goods stored up for years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Those all sound like wonderful things. I am pro-eating. I think that we should drink things like water and Diet Mountain Dew. I, I should drink less Diet Mountain Dew. I'm really worried about my innards right now. Uh, and being merry. But when this phrase is used throughout the Scriptures, it's used three other times. And every time it's used, it has this idea of negativity there. To eat, drink, and be merry means that your life is absorbed with you. Because hoarding 
leads to hell. In the Bible, there's this person that we've heard of. He's called the Antichrist. We see him in the book of Revelation. I'm planning to make Jared preach a full series on that at some point. But there are other Antichrists that are all over the Scriptures that seem to be just as problematic, these things that are in opposite of Jesus. What if we, in our community, have this acceptable Antichrist of suburbs where we keep moving ourselves towards bigger homes and nicer remodels and tile that matches better than our last tile, though the last tile held up just right. And we are living lives that are in opposition of Christ because we have chosen to hoard simply through redesign. Many of us can identify with this farmer. He's a happy man. And we, I mean, eat, drink, be merry. He's that way on the front side. He's that way on the back side. His feet are propped up. He's ready to move into his retirement days. This is the essence of life for most of us, to be successful and to be rich. The farmer enjoyed that, and he's looking forward to doing more of it, eating, drinking, and being merry. And Jesus points out to him what he points out to all of us. Life is not this. The perishable things are not ultimate. Building bigger barns, everything was fine and good for this man. And that's the lifestyle of many of us in our area we want to improve our lives and we want to increase our wealth. We want to find more and more ways to enjoy ourselves. We want to store up wealth and some possessions so that we can enjoy them when we are super duper old. We are planning for the future, making good investments in stocks and bonds and insurance and unit trusts and properties. We have stuff. Does your stuff have you? Nothing wrong with any of those things until it owns you rather than you owning it. We read verse 20, and this man has a problem because as he has accumulated all of these things that should matter, God says to him, You fool. Fool, if it is not being said by Mr. T, is bad. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. What you're doing is wrong because your whole life is wrapped around you. Take guard against that, Jesus says. What weapons are you picking up to fight that battle? What steps are you taking to prepare for that oncoming assault? We have this idea of being satisfied in this life. And the oddest thing about it is that it never brings satisfaction. And Jesus says, that's how it is with one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. There's, it's not either or, it's both and. This is not saying don't save. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to save. This is not saying that we should not have a home or have a... The Bible doesn't say you should have a car. They didn't have cars. But the, this is not the Bible saying any of these things. This is the Bible saying you choosing this over God is a problem. And it's a problem for more of us than we like to admit. 
Now, can rich people follow Jesus? It seems that the Bible says they can. You've got this centurion who follows after Jesus. You've got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the, in the Gospels who have a home where they welcome people for the sake of Jesus. They use their things for kingdom purposes. You've got one man who gave his tomb to Jesus, which leads us to believe that he was planning for what was going to take place after he was gone. Again, there's nothing wrong with, your, you, with having stuff. There's something wrong when your stuff has you. Bold words from Jesus. He had just finished addressing these farmers and, and all these people. And then Jesus goes into the very next phrase. And in verse 22, you see a shift from Jesus talking about possessions to Jesus talking about anxiety. I wonder why. What if we've missed this? That as we read through the Bible, we, we almost overlook and we believe that we're only called to read the portion that's under the certain header that we happen to be in and we miss that this whole thing is interconnected Jesus has just addressed that you should acknowledge him before men one man says I hear you say that but I've got this land that I'm worrying about Jesus then follows up and says to him, Hey, that doesn't get to be ultimate. I do. So you've got to choose who you're going to serve. Followed up with this conversation about anxiety, letting us know that it is in some way, if not directly, at least indirectly, tied to the idea of what we do with our stuff. Everyone is worried about everything 40 million Americans battle anxiety. 38% are seeking any kind of help, and that's not even good help most of the time. John Piper says this. He's a pastor. He was. He still kind of is. I read him a lot. He's cool. He kind of looks like Larry David. As unbelief gains the upper hand, in our one of the results of that is anxiety. As unbelief grows in us, one of the ways that it manifests is through stress, through anxiety. Notice, he's having a general conversation, this Jesus. He then transitions to have a conversation to those who follow him. And hopefully, just hopefully this morning, this transition is being made by all of us. General conversation of Jesus to anyone who would hear. He who has ears, let him hear. That you should not be owned by your possessions. And then to his followers, he directly says this, because every one of them and every one of us are going to naturally bend towards being owned by our possessions. These things are going to cause you stress that you don't want. They're going to hurt you in ways that you don't expect. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or about the body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. He continues, and we see Jesus say that, that really this idea, this transition of while greed says you never get enough, worry is being afraid that you don't have enough or that you may not have enough. We go from Jesus talking about money to Jesus talking about your stresses, and the words of Jesus are pretty simple. Just look around you. So if you're a note taker, write that down. As we look at verse 24, take a look. Take a look around you. Consider the ravens. Not the Baltimore Ravens. They're out. They don't sow and they don't reap. They, they don't have a storehouse room or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Are you not worth more than the birds? Of course you are. 
You and I are made in the image of God, unlike anything else in all of creation. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you are not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers. They don't labor, they don't spin, thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Solomon, the richest man in all of history according to the Scriptures, also the wisest, but sometimes his richness overran his wiseness. If that's how God clothed grass, which is going to be gone tomorrow. That's how grass is, right? It grows. We cut it. It grows again. It won't stop growing. It keeps dying over and over and over. 29, don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink and don't be anxious for the Gentile world eagerly seeks after these things. So Jesus is making a reference to the Gentiles. If you are unfamiliar with the Gentile, it means those who worship foreign gods. And he says they believe that the way they use their stuff, that God is using that to enforce his rules and will upon them. And they are trusting in a God who is distant from them to care for them if they do something. You and I, who call ourselves the children of God, don't have to look at any God like that. We can trust that he'll care for us. Maybe you are missing the idea of consider, the word that's been used here twice, because it's not a weighty word for us. It, it's heavier than just, hmm, looking at a menu and deciding between a cheeseburger and, a, and tacos. If they're real tacos, you should order them. If they're those tacos with kale, stay away. In Sherlock Holmes, in, Sherlock Holmes didn't write a book. Books were written about him. Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Sherlock Holmes in his story about the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, A Scandal in Bohemia. There's a conversation between Sherlock and Watson. If you're familiar with Sherlock and Watson, could you just raise your hand to let me know I'm not making things up? Awesome. When I hear you give your reasons, this is Watson talking to Sherlock about how observant Sherlock happens to be or how Sherlock doesn't miss anything. He sees everything. When I hear you give reasons, the things always appear to me to be so ridiculously simple that I could easily do it myself though at each successive instance of your reasoning I'm baffled until you explain your process anybody have those people in their life you are amazed by how they see everything maybe it's your spouse it's my spouse that woman is wonder woman she knows everything and I just sit there and pray that the Lord will give me knowledge but you look at this passage and you see Sherlock is... Or not this passage, a passage from a book, not the Bible. <laughs> Who am I? I'm adding to Revelation 22 style. That's wrong. So we keep going and we notice this. I notice you doing these things. At each successive instance of your reasoning, I'm baffled until you explain the process. And yet I believe that my eyes are as good as yours. Sherlock replies, quite so. As he lit a cigarette, I don't encourage that and throwing himself down into an armchair, you see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. For example, you have frequently seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this room. Frequently. How often? Well, Watson replies, some hundred times. Then how many steps are there? How many? I, I don't know. 
Quite so. You have not observed, yet you have seen. That is just my point. Now I know that there are 17 steps because I have both seen and observed. When we look at the world around us, those birds that we overlooked, those the flowers that we don't even pay any attention to. Jesus says, don't just see those. See how I've cared for those. Observe that. And when you observe the way those have been provided for, when you fix your gaze on that, You will observe the way that I care for you. And that will relieve you from anxiety. Take a look, he says. After he says, take a look, verse 31, take a a breath because of it. I love this because we go from observe, you fix your eyes on this, you notice it, and now we go from noticing and standing to noticing and moving. 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be provided to you. If you seek after God's kingdom, these things will be provided to you. Jesus then speaks to them with this endearing quality. Little flock, don't be afraid because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old and inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief can, can come nor, and no moth destroys. Again, Jesus is pointing out, hey, your stuff may have you. That doesn't mean that's all of you. He doesn't use this command with everyone he talks to. But in certain situations, Jesus uses this boldly. To say to the hearer, you are not caring for your world in the way that I've created you to care for your world. This is an investment of multiple things. It's an investment of your resources, to be sure. But it's more than that. Think about this, church family. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, and sometimes we do shop talk in here, and others of you just get to overhear it. If we as followers of Jesus are going to live in a world where we bring honor to Jesus, we would see the situations around us, but not just see them, that we would observe them with Christ us, and that we would seek His kingdom and His righteousness. That means that we are willing to take steps that we do not want to take because our God is worthy of those steps. Steps to the home of a neighbor. Steps to check on a sick friend. Steps to care for those who are lost and hurting around us. Using our time, not only our time, we would use our talents. We would use the giftings that God has given us. Because you are a gifted group of people. How often are you using your gifts for something beyond yourself? We we have a women's Bible study. I'm so thankful for the ladies who lead that on Wednesday night. They meet and they pour themselves out to the ladies of our church. If you're not part of that, they just finished their first night, you should come next week. We have uh, people who pour into our children's ministry using their giftings as teachers. That takes place on Wednesdays for our 5th and 6th graders. It takes place here on Sunday mornings. Are you using your talents? You may say, I'm not talented with children, to which I would reply, then use your time and take out the trash. There are always ways for us to come alongside of what God is doing here. 
to be part of what God is doing with, a, with His grand design of the kingdom being made known. Because where our treasure is, there our heart is. How often when you look at your own life and examine your own heart and wrestle with your own motives, do those things say that your treasure is the person of Jesus? When we look at our lives, what is taking place for you as a follower of Jesus that is any different than your neighbor outside of the time that, you, that appears to be wasted by you to them on Sunday mornings? How many conversations are we having? How much love are we pouring out to those around us? Do we want to see the kingdom made known? Because every one of us with our lives are doing one of two things. We are either addressing the kingdom needs around us or we are amplifying them by the way that we ignore them. What are we doing to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth? Our hope, our goal is not to be a place that meets in a building because that's just dumb. Our hope and our goal is to be a people who would show that the kingdom of God matters, that the name of Jesus matters, that the reign and rule of God is something that matters to us. And the way that we give, time, talent, and treasure, those things are not divided. We can't divide them. Giving is a gauge of gratitude. Are you grateful for what God has done for you? So we look and we consider how the gospel pushes us towards giving. And it confronts all of the tendencies in us to not be giving. It confronts our greed. It, it confronts our desire to control. It confronts our comfort. It confronts our convenience. It confronts everything in us. And what if we see that God has given us raises and bonuses and opportunity and stocks and bonds, not for the sake of us building up a treasure here on this earth, but building the kingdom beyond this place? What if where we ate and traveled and what we wore and what we drove were all filtered through the idea of how God sees those things? What if we sought not to give a bare minimum, but we wanted to give of what God has given us to our maximum capacity? Because I have no desire to be someone who leads a speech every Sunday morning in this room so that you can hear and go about living your lives the way that, God, that you have before. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me because that is godless Christianity and that is hoarding and that leads to hell. We are called by God to make His name known beyond this place. To see the kingdom for what it is. To see the king for who He happens to be. So are you giving generously? Are you giving cheerfully? Are you giving sacrificially? Are you doing this spontaneously, regularly, secretly, and thankfully because the Bible gives us directions in all those ways? And if not, why not? Because I believe that if your pastor confronted you or I looked in the mirror and confronted your pastor... I would say that Jesus is my treasure. But what I'm doing with all of those things says what my treasure really is. So maybe for you today, as we look at this idea of taking guard, we look at the idea of taking a look, taking a deep breath because God reigns and rules, you may need to take a step this morning. You may need to take a step in some way closer to what it would look like for your life to honor God and His kingdom. If you are not a believer in Jesus who is here for the first time, or you are here for the first time in a long time, or you are here for the first time on time, I want you to know that Jesus invites you into a deep, rich, rewarding, sacrificial, at times difficult relationship with Him where you are going to be constantly 
forced to acknowledge that you are to worship Him with everything that you have and with everything that you do. And if that's you and you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I, I want you to follow me. I want to be your treasure above everything else. And you sense that He's dealing with you, I want you to take a step of faith toward Him. Friends, if you're a believer in this room and you've never been baptized, we want you to be part of this faith family and we want you to invest your life here. I know how transient our community is. It affects the way that people migrate into churches, the way that they migrate out of churches. It affects everything. But there is a season for which you are here. Don't miss it. Don't waste it. Don't overlook the opportunity God has given. Pour your life out. As part of a family of faith. If this isn't the place for you, there are great churches in town. But pour your life out somewhere. Some of you just need to quit church hopping to give our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God in this community. Because there is a darkness here. There is a darkness that is a comfortable, satisfied darkness. And we are called to wage a war against that with everything we have and everything we are. Will we be willing to do that? If you're not investing your time here as a member, that's bad. We want you to invest your time. If you're not part of a group, be part of a group. I've got great group leaders. My group does not have a great leader, but you can hang out with us too. <laughs> Take a step and do so. If you're looking at your finances, we've been talking about that for three weeks, and, and you know there's a struggle with you getting on track so that you can invest in God's kingdom. Please let us know because I've had people tell me in the last two weeks, hey, I'm kind of a budget ninja. I can help people if you need me to. We would love to set them on you. And they'll be kind. Engineers, they're super direct, but they're kind. If you've never looked at your resources from God's perspective as something that He has given to you to invest in the kingdom, then do that. All of us, every Sunday when we gather together, hear sermons that are calling us to take steps. We just have to acknowledge what step God's calling us to take. To look at all of the treasure that He is and say that He's worth it and pour our lives out for it. What would it look like if as a king, as the people of God who assemble at this embassy of His kingdom here, we wanted to do more than just meet but we wanted to make much of him in a way that we cannot explain, that is inexplicable beyond God doing something supernatural in our midst. Should pray you pray with me this morning? Heads bowed, please. The band's getting in place. If you want to respond to any of those things, here's what I love. That I would love for you to meet with me or one of my group leaders. I'm going to ask for my group leaders just to be observant during this response time this morning. Because every person in this room is called to respond. Every one of us. No one is separated. If you're not a believer, God is calling you to respond by saying yes or no to Him. If you want to trust Jesus, please do that. If you're a believer in Jesus, and in any of these other things that we've addressed, God is addressing you, then you are called to respond. You respond with a yes or you respond with a no, but you're going to respond. To be part of God doing something bigger than us. To be part of God doing something that is only comprehensible because He's done something magnificent 
in our lives, transformation in us that is displayed through us. God's calling you to respond this morning. Again, if you never place your faith in Jesus, I will be in the back corner of the room on your left-hand side. Please come chat with me. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your word is bold and that it's true. We thank you together. God, I pray for us as a people that we will be observant to what you've called us to and why you've called us to it. That we would love you and that we would love you not only with word but with all of us, God. That we would put our yes on the table and that we would see your kingdom come and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you are a good God. You are the giver of good gifts. So because you are the one who gives us good gifts, God, please let us set our hearts and minds on you and not on earthly things. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus who constantly pushes us to a deeper, richer, more rewarding, sacrificial walk. We ask all of these things in his name.